This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience podcast. Maybe like you, you've heard a lot in the last few years about this idea of the metaverse. Facebook changed its name. Microsoft and others have talked about this many times, about a public metaverse or a corporate private metaverses, uh, metagalaxies, how will this all come together? And I wanted to have a conversation that wasn't about really the hype or even some of the things that have been talked about a lot, which is how do we imagine this playing out in entertainment and some of the other initial positive aspects or even negative aspects we might have a conversation about. But I wanted to talk to an industry insider that really spends all their time thinking about how would we build this actually. And so I invited on Courtney Monroe, who's Vice President of Research of Worldwide Telecommunications for IDC. Big title for a really smart guy who really knows his stuff in this space. And I asked Courtney, how close are we to building everything we need for a metaverse? The underlying infrastructure for bandwidth, the hardware that you and I as human beings would need to wear or use to participate in the entire metaverse. What is the metaverse? What are concerns that we might have for it, security or privacy? Will it be primarily for entertainment in the beginning, as we see so many of these things do, or will it be more private metaverses that corporations or industry put together where you don't have anonymity? How does it all work? <laughs> because there's so much hype around it. Courtney is a wonderful communicator, knows his stuff in this area, and what I love also has a lot of opinions backed by research. So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. I love the conversation. Please join us on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one. Courtney, welcome to the QTS Experience. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here with you talking today. I'm, I'm very glad you came into the studio because I have a lot of questions. One right. of the ones that I am most curious about is one of the things, as VP of research there at IDC, mm -hmm. um, and IDC being a global, um, uh, having a global perspective, not just in the area of telecom, but um, the, the entire digital world, and coming out of your conference in 2022, one in 2022, um, one of the big things that's shaking up the world outside of geopolitics is this whole conversation around meta, mm -hmm. the actual company of meta, the metaverse, um, Microsoft talking about it, many global industries are talking about it. And I'm not sure how, how that relates to the things that we normally talk about, which is digitalization, sustainability, um, connectivity, Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, the usual suspects of AI and uh, machine learning, et cetera. So I thought maybe I could just tee up a nice big, I know you weren't necessarily geared for that specific question, but I'm wondering, as you think about that in your mm -hmm. role, what's sort of the overall theme we should be thinking about? Well, I think that um, Meta is evolving um, as, um, as sort of a new uh, vision for the internet and, and, and how we communicate over the internet. 
And I think that as part of that concept, we saw Meta, formerly Facebook, mm -hmm. you know, they were one of the first to really sort of um, put out a comprehensive vision for the metaverse. And, and, and metaverse is their interpretation of how we will use the internet as a, you know, um, a new way of collaborating and we'll collaborate virtually, but, but in an immersive fashion, right? So right now we, we collaborate, uh, you know, via conference calls and, and messaging, et cetera, et cetera. And we stitch that together in what we call um, in IT segment, unified communications or collaboration. So, um, I think what a lot of um, IT folks want to do is take that one step further and do total immersion where you'll have an avatar and, you know, we'll have, we'll have these meetings where, you know, we'll be in sort of a, a virtual immersive um, studio or landscape. And, you know, it's going to be sort of less distractive than doing a traditional conference call. I think that's the, you know, that's the concept. The reality is, um, you know, to do that, you need this real sophisticated high-tech headset that you have to wear. And, and because of the way our brains and our, and our eyes, you know, interpret the world, you know, you, you cannot wear that for, for long periods of time. It gets tiring. Um, you know, some people get dizzy. So there's a, a raging debate over you know, how the metaverse will evolve. Will it be that total immersive experience that, that you know, meta envisions? Or will it be a more measured, you know, use of, 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 say, augmented reality where you're not totally immersed in it, but you can experience a different reality through a, a device like a computer or a mobile phone and, and sort of avoid having to wear like that heavy headset and avoid some of the, you know, side effects of total diversion. Hmm. I, while you're talking recently, my wife and I went back through our scuba certification. And right. on the one hand, when we go scuba diving, it, it's such a different experience than, you, do, you, can, you can lower a camera into the ocean onto a reef and you can look on a 4K or now H. 8k screen and see the reef right. and all the all the things around you and um it's beautiful and very um um some ways immersive but you're mm -hmm. not there when i put on my scuba right. gear and i get down there i'm there right. on the other hand i don't have to worry about my ears popping when i'm sitting on the surface i can i can the color hues are pretty amazing i'm not worried about getting touching something that I shouldn't or getting hurt by wildlife or whatever. Um, I don't have to constantly clear my mask, which I've learned is a thing, especially if you have a, a beard like I do. Um, I, I did have an embarrassing experience when, um, you know, a, a shark swam by and I, I got nervous at first, but it saw my size and the fact that I was wearing like a Shamu looking wetsuit just kind of nodded at me in professional courtesy and yep. swam on by. So I was, I was uh, safe in that case. But it was really interesting as we talk about trying to get immersive. On the one hand, I love doing the scuba and being immersive, but it's not without its 
pressure. I can only do it for a little while before I have to come back up for air. I've got all the environmental conditions. I'm trying to fight the current and drift and be aware of what's going on. There's risks that I'm incurring. You know, there's a physical imposition. So to gain that experience, and it's clunky, even though we've been scuba diving Mm -hmm. for decades, and even with the most modern equipment, it is still clunky and an imperfect experience, but it's so attractive. Yeah, and, and that's a great analogy. And I liken that to uh, immersive is, is scuba diving. Augmented would be snorkeling, right? Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, 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 you just need like the goggles and an air vent, and you can float on the water, but you can also get a similar experience. It's not totally immersive, but like you said, you don't have all that gear. Right. You don't have... The, the immense pressure on your body that scuba diving um, entails. And, you know, you, you can snorkel for an hour or two hours, but, you know, when I dive, you know, I come up within 20, 25 minutes because I use up all my air, right? right? And, and then I can't dive for another hour or two. My body has to right. reacclimate. So I think that's a great analogy. And I would compare it to immersive would be scuba diving, augmented reality would be snorkeling. Right. We uh, we did have an unfortunate experience uh, snorkeling, though, kind of an unintended consequence. We were out at Turks and Caicos a few weeks ago. Yep. And they took us out, the, the, the resort that we were at, very, very affordable, so pretty out there. We do these free um, snorkel rides. And so they, they took us out to right near the reef. And it wasn't a... Um, it was bigger waves than we expected. They weren't crashing on us or anything like that, yep. but the big swells. And we learned pretty quickly, if you've, uh, if you've endo- enjoyed some of the beverages and some of the snacks on the way there, and then you're laying on these swells for 45 minutes as it takes yeah. you up and down, you may leave some of the snacks there in the ocean that you <laughs> left the ship with. Uh, I'm yeah, not going to rat out anybody on our party who might have done that, but... Uh, the fish were well fed that yeah. day, but it was that's such a cool uh, analogy about augmented versus yeah. virtual um, or or a, a completely uh, some uh, immersive experience. So, as we think about it, mm-hmm. you know, especially from your perspective as a researcher, what does it take to build the infrastructure to do something like that? I mean, we five years ago, three years ago, we would say, you know, in in January of 2020, we would all talk about it's coming, but it's, yep. you know, sometime in the future, probably a decade away, we've got all of these obstacles that we have to overcome, not the least of which is the end unit, yep. but just the, who's going who's gonna to let their employees work from home, first of all? What's the security and safety of that look like? How do I protect my intellectual product? How do I c- can continue to create culture and maintain, cult- like all of these other things? And then, of course... March of 2020 hits us here in the States and it's like, stay alive. And we have no idea what this thing that's going on, right? We've heard of everything from the plague and the Spanish flu. And like me, a lot of people are washing their groceries. We're hyper-focused on being separated. And, um, and now we're two years down the road from that. And some of the dire things that we were worried about, um, were pretty dire and, and many were, you know, muted and we've kind of worked through that. But one of the barriers that broke down, as we all know, is this idea of work from home or remote. Certainly now even a hybrid exists. 
but there's still pressure on infrastructure. Right. We've got we've got all this pressure on how do I build before I even get to the end devices the mm-hmm. stuff so that people can experience it, and then the software, and then the hardware to have this immersive experience. So as you think about that, what do you think about? And it also seems yep. to me like the meta is really still primarily for entertainment, not business. And maybe that's yep. the wrong way to think about it, but that's how I think about it. Well, I think putting aside the hardware challenge, we're not there yet with the hardware, right? I mean, that's still... You know that's still in development, and that's gonna mm-hmm. it's gonna get better over time. But mm-hmm. I think there's there's the other issues I look at are data privacy and security, right? That's oh, yeah. gonna be a key challenge. Um, the other key challenge is gonna be the 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 infrastructure, the bandwidth. You're gonna need tremendous amounts of bandwidth. You're also gonna need tremendous amount of ubiquitous bandwidth and reliable bandwidth. Right. So I think we're getting there with the bandwidth, you know, 5G is on the horizon. And that brings the advantage of 5G is not necessarily speed for the end user, but capacity for service providers. So they can pack a lot more uh, packets and bits and bytes on the network on the back end of the network, accommodate a lot more processing power and and serve a lot more. Uh, workloads. So that's going to be a great advantage as well as fiber. You know, we're getting more and more fiber to the home. Uh, you know, all of the big providers are, are implementing a lot of fiber. So capacity is going to be key um, to experience, you know, this great, you know, experience. I, I think that, um, you know, if we can solve the security issue and, you know, you can implement, there's many ways of doing it. You can do blockchain, which ties your identity locks your identity down. Um, but the other issue is, you know, we're still facing a lot of the same challenges. If you talk to people who who experience the meta, you can you still get harassed in, in the metaverse. Yeah. You still get people talking to you who you don't necessarily want to interact with. Right. Um, so that's a still a challenge that has to be addressed. And 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 I think you're right. It's probably going to be, I don't see it really be in more of a consumer experience immediately. I see more being a, a business, uh, you know, focus experience at first. I think it's going to be driven by, say, collaboration, um, you know, among businesses uh, rather than, you know, just like a totally consumer-oriented experience at first. And then gradually, I think, as the, as the hardware improves, as, as we solve some of these security issues, I think you're going to see it transfer over to the consumer side. I had um, Annie Eaton on the other day. She owns a local uh, VR shop, virtual reality shop, augmented reality too, for that matter. And one of the conversations we talked about were the ethics around the, the impact, how ethics are impacting this role of um, the metaverse. And they're working on it. Uh, she's huge. Obviously, she owns a company in this space, huge proponent of virtual reality, augmented reality, like it is, it is some part of our future. There's no, it's like we're 20, we're six months after the Model T has come out, we're debating on is there a role for, you know, the internal combustion engine in a vehicle? It's without a doubt going to be transformative. At the same time, we didn't get into it, but you just raised this interesting point. It almost feels like the earliest safe adoption of it is going to be in the private business or government or whatever, because right. while 
in the public domain, one of the things she and I did talk about is you're easily harassed. Um, yeah. and, and the people that are part of these programs, they, they realize this risk and they are working. We're, we're not here to pick on anybody who provides this yeah, experience, yeah. whether it's Meta or Microsoft or whoever's going to do it. Human nature being human nature, we sometimes, you know, there's 1% of us or 2% of us that are knuckleheads. And so they harass people. There's also, in the spirit of freedom, they allow people to have adult content in these spaces. And they have yep. some provisions that say, look, in order to come in here, you have to be a certain age or whatever. Yep. Even then, there's pressure because not all cultures are the same. But they've set up these barriers. But it became obvious very quickly. It's very easy to bypass sort of that, you know, gatekeeper and get in there. And now you're... Mm -hmm. You know, whoever's being exposed to this stuff. So notwithstanding those things to be solved in the private world, it sounded like, look, if my company or my um, my uh, organization, I'm a group of telecom providers, I'm Sprint and Verizon and T-Mobile and whatever, all these different providers, and we have our own Meta, so you got to be a member of it. Mm -hmm. um, while you have an avatar, you're not anonymous, you're tied to a unique identity, and, and so you can't behave, you know, you don't have any anonymity, but you have that immersive experience, which is what I think people are trying to do. How do I perform my job? How do I bring my, the whole of me to an immersive experience while being remote? Exactly. I think, yeah, I think that's going to be, that's going to be a key issue. And, you know, one thing, you know, you mentioned entertainment, but you know, just like just like video on the current, you know, two-dimensional and internet, where adult education is, you know, a huge part of that. Sure. That's probably going to translate to the metaverse, at least in the early stages. And and I think, you know, that pushes the envelope in terms of technology. And I think that's going to filter down to, you know, business uses and other, you know, uh, sort of PG-13, right. you know, uh, entertainment and, and consumer applications. But, you know, like the internet, we don't really know which application is going to emerge, um, you know, yet. I think as, as happens, it's hard to predict what's the one application that's really going to, you know, scale up and really, you know, burst the gates. I have a prediction. It will be easy like I say, I was just thinking about that. I've got. Um, uh, have you ever heard of the company Rev.com or Rev.ai? They're one yep. of the leading uh, speech to text translation organizations mm -hmm. in the world, if not the leading. Uh, they're one that I use. Um, use their chief engineer or VP of engineering, um, uh, Dan Kokotov, is coming on the show, and we talk about how. Um, this this marriage of speech and 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 the nuance of it and um, all this really cool stuff and and where could we where can we take that with human you know human to human interaction and mm -hmm. and I'm imagining now as we talk about the meta the opportunity to sit in a classroom where you have a the best engineer teacher in the world happens to be French let's say or Ethiopian or Peruvian or whatever. And I can join into the classroom. And so I have this 360 immersive experience and the teacher's teaching in their native language and I'm listening to it and it's being translated into my language. And I'm sitting there with my co-students. So I get sort of this wholly immersive classroom experience because when COVID hit, I had a daughter that was in um, 
high school. It was the end of her junior year through her senior year, and it was not a great experience for her. This is a honor grad, great student, and she, like me, learns by being in front of people, not just seeing what goes up on the board, but but watching the lips and, mm-hmm. and being part of that experience or we're so easily distracted that it's mm-hmm. it's almost a waste of our time. Whereas my other daughters are different. They can just listen to a lecture and they're fine. Yeah. And so I feel like yeah. there's an opportunity to do that with this. Yeah, there's a tremendous opportunity. And and I think that it could really revolutionize <laughs> travel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can travel virtually. And, and, and with that experience, you don't have to worry about learning a new language. You can travel, you can interact mm-hmm. and have that instantaneous translation. And I think, wouldn't that be an amazing experience? Um, sort of like that Star Trek experience where, you know, you understand what the aliens say because you have the technology that, that does the, the instantaneous translation. But right. I, think, I think that... That technology will really revolutionize not just collaboration, but but travel um, as well, and 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 that's going to be that's going to be a huge right because then that brings in you know that brings into effect a whole sustainability and you know um, the expense of travel and the inconvenience of travel um, you know will be reduced. So I think that that's that's absolutely a great example that you brought up there. It will be certainly more accessible. I want to talk about sustainability in a moment, but before I do that, there I'm watching a, um, my wife and children. I'm going to blame it on them. This is kind of like I'm asking for a friend, but my wife and children mm-hmm. are addicted to television that's called K-dramas, which is Korean television. Have you ever heard of this? They're called K-dramas. No. Yeah. Sort of like uh, the, the Spanish telenovelas. Yes, that's exactly right. The content may be a little bit different, but yep. in the same way that you have the telenovelas, it's the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I love it, um, first of all, the production value is so high. I just, it's, you know, I'm going to get all kinds of irritating email about this, but <laughs> it really is world class. It's as good as yep. anything. The content is, um, uh, not only is it interesting, you don't, they, they don't push a lot of culture, uh, a lot of the culture war stuff that's going on, right? About, um, it, it's very uh, rated PG, very mm-hmm. safe mm-hmm. usually. Uh, but in the show that we're watching right now, It's Okay Not to Be Okay, it is a story of um, people that are wrestling with mental health issues while mm-hmm. they're trying to live their life and be full human beings. And it's beautiful and captivating to me anyway. My wife and I are watching this. We've also learned how to read English very, very quick because neither one of us speak Korean. But in there, there's a scene. One of the characters Mm -hmm. is autistic. Hmm. And uh, he's the brother of the main character. And what the brother has done is he set up this board. I'm sure this anybody that works with autistics and other related um, phenomenon are familiar with this. They have a board of like 30 uh, faces. And underneath each face, it will have, um, it has a face emoting and it's got a word. This is what, if my face looks like this, I'm confused, I'm happy, Mm -hmm. I'm sad, I'm frustrated, I'm, and they try to get it as nuanced as they can. And I'm imagining a day when we can take technology Mm -hmm. that allows us, even though we're not speaking the same language, while I'm in the metaverse, my avatar can emote for me. Yep. The emotion that I'm experiencing and the other avatar 
its AI and its tools can help it to interpret that Mm-hmm. to go along with and maybe even adjust its yep. lexicon. This is one of the things I want to talk to Dan about. Hey, as you go, artificial intelligence, to choose a word for me that while the Russian word for this in English is this, but you could tell by my expression, mm-hmm. this probably doesn't fit. It's probably not frustrated. It's probably angry. Or it may not be, yep. you know, whatever. And I feel like tools like as we journey on this world to get to a fully virtual, fully engaged submersive experience tools mm-hmm. like that are going to have to be developed to well, help us to solve yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, and we're getting there. I think that if you look at, there's a couple of, you know, examples I would raise. One is uh, natural language processing, right? So for example, with a call center, there's some call centers now that can detect, you know, your sentiment. So sentiment analysis, right? Really? And if you're angry, they may route you to a specific agent. If you're happy, they may route you to, um, you know, another agent. And and some some AIs is doing that in real time. So as the conversation progresses, it will analyze your words, you know, and 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 try and figure out, you know, whether to escalate. You know, it will it will provide some messages to the agent to say, well, you know, maybe you should try this, maybe you should offer this, this this package, et cetera, et cetera. So we've we've started down that road, right? And and I think that's a great example you brought up. The other one I would bring up is some of the work that Cisco is doing with with video conferencing, where um, you know, if you're in a if you're in a a video conferencing session with multiple people. It will the the camera will automatically move to who's speaking. It will alter um, you know the the volume of your voice depending on where you are in the room, um, and so so it's so video is becoming increasingly more um, what should I say conscious of group situations and natural language processing and AI is becoming a lot more intelligent. So I think when you when all, when the technology matures and you put it all together, who knows? You may have some of what you're talking about with an avatar. I don't know that I heard anything after you said it can detect emotion and help shape the next sentence to say because I can just imagine that a pin on my collar, whenever I go to have a conversation with my wife of 35 years, who's half <laughs> Japanese and half Irish. And I'm not saying that we sometimes get it wrong, but it reminds me of the guy who goes to say a prayer and he says to God, God, would you please make me a bridge from Ho- from uh, San Francisco to Hawaii? And God says, um, ask me for something difficult. He said, fine, help me to understand my <laughs> wife. And he said, do you want four lanes or two for your bridge? <laughs> I uh, I adore my wife, but it is uh, I need something that's like warning, warning. Don't say this, say yeah, that. Yeah. You know, uh, d- detect the underloan. It reminds me. Uh, one time I asked her. I don't know. You know, this is probably early days of being married, maybe two or three years in. Yeah. And she said something, and I said, "Well, I bet you've never done that." And she looked at me, um, Courtney. This probably never happened to you in your life. Her eyebrow went up and said, "Do you really want to know?" And right then, I didn't need an AI. I knew this oh, yeah. is where you stop and back up. Oh, yeah. Don't go <laughs> any <many> further. <laughs> I don't know if it was gas, the Holy Spirit, the, this, whatever, but something yep. said this right now is where you go 
fix your wife uh, a drink or something. Oh, yeah. The, the tilt of the head or, or that <laughs> eyebrow pops up. Oh, yeah. That's right. You'd think I'd learn over the years. But so look, what? how are companies... So the so we're talking about these great ideas, but mm-hmm. you know I've got shareholders. If I'm public, I've got um, yep. private equity. If I'm of any consequence of size, if I'm private, how do if, if I'm a if I'm somebody like you talking to um, enterprises to say, look, here's a world that's coming. Mm-hmm. How do they how do they get prepared for something like this? First of all, do they accept it? Do they reject it? Do they say that's not for us? We're uh, you know, we're not in that industry. We're 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 cattlemen in Montana, or we're some. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they would be, but though you know, we're that's not really us. How do you capture their imagination? And how do you help them prepare for or to innovate their way into embracing something like this world? Well, I think I think it depends on it depends on the vertical, and it depends on how they're interacting with customers. And I think there's use cases for every single type of company you can think of, right? So I think if you look at retail, you know, you can, there's already, um, you know, uh, for example, I, I had a, a problem with my car recently. So, you know, the, the, the man track said, okay, take a video of the issue and send it back to us, mm-hmm. right? So you're beginning, it depends on where you are. Um, you, if, if you were, you, you mentioned a rancher, if I'm a cattle rancher um, I've, I've, and I have an emergency, I, I may not always be able to get a, a veterinarian to come right away. So we do a virtual video call, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I interact with him. I might even show him, you know, my, you know, animal and what's wrong with him. And, 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 and he might be able to, to help me actually do some virtual not exactly surgery, but procedures mm-hmm. on on that animal by video. You know, I've seen examples where um, you know augmented reality, where a technician working with a cell phone, they you can superimpose an image of a technician, you know, working on a specific equipment, mm. just by having that person aim the camera at that equipment. And then you can superimpose an image of a technician doing specifically what needs to be done so that that person can see it live. So there's a lot of ways, you know, we've heard of robotic surgery, you know, in the medical field. Um, We've heard of, um, you know, virtual training um, in the medical field. So there's, I mean, you name the vertical, I can come up with a use case or an example of how augmented or virtual reality applies to that, that's that, that vertical you one of the things you said there reminded me almost exactly what annie was saying um at least in the same context she said imagine there will be a time where you bring your tablet or whatever phone and you're working on your vehicle and and you just hold it up whether it's a selfie or you're looking through it or whatever and it will not just um give you sort of the video It, it can you know the tool will be able to look at it and say okay well here are the lines that I you know you're missing these components that I'm expecting to see or I can tell by looking at this that it's in this condition or here's where you should put your wrench or like here's how you get into the nuts and bolts of doing this or if you wanted to attempt to work on your own computer can I hold my you know back in the day when I was a gamer and would build my own computer uh, there were there I really dated myself there was no YouTube and so you just <laughs> no. had to talk to your other gaming buddies yeah. on where's my RAM go? How do I, exactly. ins- you know, I'll tell you what, you know what, one of the fastest growing professions are today 
drone pilot. Why? Because you have um, telecommunications companies, you have electrical companies, they use drones to, to inspect uh, poles. Um, you know, uh, companies are using drones to inspect wind turbines. You know, some mm. of those turbines are the length of a football field, really? right? And they might be in the middle of, of, of the Atlantic Ocean. Well, not in the middle, but offshore, right? right. right? So, so drones, you, you use a drone to inspect it, and you can use software and AI to even detect if there's a, a defect in that material. And, and the same for, um, you know, air, air, airplanes, right? Mm. So drones will inspect, uh, you know, passengers at lands, it might be, you know, 20 degrees below. So you send out a drone to inspect it. You, you don't need a technician. You don't need a technician to walk in that wing. So there's a lot of examples emerging of how we're going to use, how we are using virtual reality and how that will continue to improve. My industry, we have, is data centers and we have, our particular data centers tend to be very large, millions yep, of square feet exactly. in some cases. And we don't use this technology, and this is, I'm not being paid to say this, even though I work for the company, I'm not being paid to say this. Um, we, we don't look at how we replace people, we look at how we augment them. And one of the ways mm -hmm. we do that, if I've got all of this square footage of roof, for example, some of the things we're looking at is whether it's drones or um, robots or whatever, anything that's got a yep. high def camera today, but in the future, that it's cameras and tools that are going to be able to look at a roof and look for heat anomalies or look for just look for anomalies. Exactly. And, um, and then report the anomaly to my roof technicians so that if I get 5 million more square feet of roof, I don't need to multiply times 100 the techs I've got walking up and down who themselves many times get bored. They're it's human. tedious right. in Atlanta. It's hot or all over the world. And so I've got this tool that doesn't get afraid, that doesn't care, that goes and looks. And when it sees an anomaly, it then reports to the people, I have an anomaly. Come and look at these anomalies and mm -hmm. here's where they're at. And now we go in and we investigate the anomalies, not yep. the um, regular stuff. And so I'm so able to focus my effort to mm -hmm. get to an outcome. And then I just tell the device, Hey, hey, just go back and land in your cradle and recharge. Absolutely. But, but you know, and, and speaking of data centers, and I think your data center is probably the AI that I've seen um, deployed <clears throat> now in the software, you know, it, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So the software alone and, and the sensors, right, that are in those, that it manages can detect those anomalies. So heat, cold, right. uh, uh, a leak right? A break uh, somewhere in the equipment. I mean, you have sensors that will immediately detect that anomaly and, you know, you, you rep it's reported to, to a human being. So the software is, the AI is, is, is amazing. And then you couple that with the robots and drones. And I think you, you're really going to see a revolution in the technology. One of the cool things that uh, my my buddy Reda Saeed, one of the nicest guys I have ever worked with in my life, he is um, he is one of the leaders of that group, kind of manages mm -hmm. that whole group. And one of the things that they and his team and his leadership have developed, if you go into a space, the tools in there will say, okay, well, this is a human, and that human's bringing in gear. So I can yep. tell the difference between a person and a gear Yep. and it can tell usually, and it's getting better at what kind of gear is that? And we expect at some point it will be able to say, oh, that's a, that's a router. And a router should go, if you try to put it into a, 
a cabinet or infrastructure that can't hold the weight or what, like just the possibilities no of this. If, no can do. If you yep. leave a door open and you're a tech yep. and you get that ready to leave you. the space, it will say, hey, you've got a, you got a door open or you've got a mm -hmm. thing that's undone or whatever. Reminder, before your boss calls you up or before a sensor tells you, your assistant can sit there and talk about augmented we just hold the phone up to the space we're working in oh no that cable goes to that rack it doesn't go over there to that rack so it right. it constantly blows my mind much less taking that data and doing real-time analytics on it mm -hmm. what's really cool courtney is to see it pulling in what might not appear to be related things but it's like huh you know i'm noticing all the doors are shut and all the things are happening correctly in that environment but here's a here's a change in the expected what else is going on yep. in the data center or in the world and does that does that have any correlation to this because it's tied to that data lake on the other hand it scares the heck out of me like i uh, don't know every time he's gone to the vending machine yep um, and, something and, happens and it comes back to what we talked about earlier data privacy right yeah I mean, that's going to be a big ethical issue, right? How, how do you manage that? And, and how much privacy do we have in this immersive, tremendously immersive world? Right. I, yeah, well, that's a convert. Let's do that again on another conversation. I, I, cause I'm always talking to people about security and privacy. Yep. And then, uh, one of the things that IDC has talked about in a different context, but that's, uh, that we're not going to dive into here, but is the fungibility of data, being able to move data across cloud yep. providers and other things, which I think is a fascinating oh, that's conversation. A that's a but, You know, IDC, we say corporations are becoming, you know, data machines. Because yeah. you have so much data on your customers, on your products, that you have to constantly analyze to be to remain efficient and to and to differentiate and be competitive. Mm -hmm. you you're virtually a, a giant computer analyzing right. data. Yeah, it's uh, it and and so it reminds me of uh, the other day I was on a panel with a group of folks and one of them was from Quest Diagnostics and she was talking about how. They're doing everything they can to digitize the entire experience of collecting a sample. So Quest, for people who don't know, is a yep. diagnostic yep. lab, among other things. And so she was talking about, if I remember correctly, I don't want to put words in um, her mouth, but it was something like, look, once upon a time, you had to go and you'd get a, um, a, a, a biopsy was taken. A sample would be collected on a mm -hmm. slide. And then that would go underneath a, lab, a microscope in a lab and, and then... It would be put into a uh, on a shelf in a secure storage, and if anybody else wanted to see that, or you wanted to collaborate with a physician, you'd have they'd have to you'd have to ship them that sample and all this other stuff. And now, what they are working very hard on doing is how do we, from the moment that picture's taken under a slide, digitize it in as much detail as possible, then put it into a data lake with the appropriate yep. controls around it. Mm -hmm. And then not only have other human beings look at it, but have other tools that continuously relearn what is it yep. that I'm looking about at. So as they get more data in the data lake, it increases their accuracy on what they're looking at. And then they can share yep. it with other people. And people all over the globe can collaborate on what do I see? How do I treat it? What's the results of that treatment? Uh, I don't have to. Sh I don't have to give it to a courier in a car to drive it around somewhere. I don't have this 
um, carbon impact. I don't, I have an efficiency level. Uh, I, I, I know you yep. guys talk about this idea of digital first. Is this an example of that? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that digital first, um, you know, if you look at digital first, I mean, that constitutes, um, you know, and at IDC, we say, you know, digital transformation is sort of the dominant um, IT spend that companies are engaging now mm-hmm. to move to the cloud, to implement, you know, digital processes, to implement digital infrastructure. And you're doing that because it, it's efficient, you know, it's cost effective, and it, it provides speed and flexibility for you to, to respond to market conditions. <clears throat> so absolutely, digital first is, is definitely, and digital whole digital transformation concept is still a very, very important aspect of, of IT transformation today. Yeah. My, my guest the other day, we published him this week, I think, actually. We recorded him a couple months ago. Martin Ford wrote a, a number of books. Mm-hmm. Um, the two that we talked about were called Rise of the Robots and Rule of the Robots. And Martin's an optimist. He's an engineer. He's a very successful mm-hmm. author. He's been on a bunch of podcasts. But one of the things that he does sound an alarm bell, economists don't necessarily agree with him. Some do, but but most still open for discussion. He's saying, look, as we, he's not saying we're not going to transform digitally. We absolutely are, but that it's going to have a spectacular impact on work and and um and the workforce. Now, my argument, or I don't know, is my argument, but my discussion is like, but you know, when when mechanization hit the farm, we drove people off the farms and mm-hmm. they went into factories. When automation hit factories, they went into service industries and they've done these other things. And his a simple perspective that, he, that that I'm trying to express that he would I believe he would say is, but this is not like that. This transformation is happening so quickly. Where do where do those people who used to be the couriers to drive the slides around? Where do they go to work? If they if they had the skill set to do that, but they don't necessarily have the skill set to be a human being to co-evaluate the slide with the AI, or fill in the blank, right? This that the that as we digitize, we've also, not just with privacy and security, we've got to keep an eye on how do we maintain employment for people, or is that even the wrong right. thing? You know, I mm-hmm. I don't know. It is a, uh, it, I'm sure it's something that you guys talk about and think about. Yeah, I think we, I think there's a couple of things you have to consider. One is this, the speed of automation, right? Because I think at the crux of the matter companies are automating to be more efficient and so they'll need less workers. So those workers that are displaced, are they being retrained fast enough? And are they being retrained for the right industries fast enough? I think that's where that's where we have the disconnect. But you're right, it's gonna it's it's a perennial process. You know, as technology evolves, you're gonna need different skills. As, as become more and more automated, you're going to need less human interaction in some areas. And the trick is retraining and finding new positions and new jobs. I mean, look at the trucking industry, right? Um, there's a shortage of, of skilled drivers, right? And, and that will get, you know, so, but we still have this tremendous demand and we're going to automate, right? You're going to have 
you know, autonomous trucks uh, come, but, but there's a disconnect between where we are now and where we're going to be. And so you have to constantly balance that, you know, retrain and, 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 and 10 years from now is going to be a different dynamic. Right. Uh, so how do you balance out the need for human beings versus, you know, machines? I think it's going to be a constant challenge, but I think, I, th- I think the key is it's happening so fast that there's that disconnect. It didn't happen as fast in the, the 40s and 50s, but m- technology is moving so fast now that it's, it's a challenge for, for government and, and even companies. Yeah, le- we haven't talked about legislation, um, but just to, to try to keep up, there's, there's so many advantages, but one of the things that I've read a, a lot about here in the last few months, just in researching for my guests, the impact of deep fake. I mean, we've got the ability to um, imitate or uh, somebody's voice, somebody's face, somebody's mannerisms. There are tools out there that can look at this stuff. They look at a sample set yep. and they can recreate. And um, to this point, usually people can spot the difference, but we're very quickly getting to the point where only another machine can spot the difference. Yep. And that's got all kinds of implications for uh, ne'er-do-wells or, um, you know, getting us, in, getting us in trouble. And one of the unintended consequences, I think, of, of explaining to people, look, you know, what are the future jobs? What are the things that, you know, everybody tries to talk about future-proof. I don't know if there is such a thing. But what are the things that you should invest your time and energy and money to? Well, there is a whole generation of people that have been told, don't become an over-the-road trucker or local trucker because it's going to, you're going to be completely displaced. And we had Daniel Vassar on not long ago. He's a supply chain guru, many years with Kroger company and now with uh, another organization, but that's his field of expertise. He's like, look, the, at some point, yes, there will be special lanes and special highways, just like we built for railroads and trucks and whatever that, that do point to point. So warehouse to warehouse or supplier to warehouse distribution for sure. But we're still, a significant time away from the warehouse into the little side roads and by roads, fully autonomous, et cetera. And yet we so warned a generation of the dangers of pursuing because they're going to be, you know, out of a job. And interestingly enough, I think the largest employer by industry Mm -hmm. of men between a certain age, certainly veterans, like 35 to 55 was Mm -hmm. over the road, not necessarily 18 wheelers, but just big driver, driving a big vehicles that need a CDL. And those, those have all been in decline. They've all, yeah. not because the industry wasn't there, but they've left because um, they've because been warned. We were or, told, yeah. And, that, and that's what I mean by rebalancing. There's got to be this constant dynamic of making sure that, you know, as you automate, you know, you still need people. I mean, you know, there's, there's never going to be a totally automated robotic factory ever. I don't, I don't think that's going to ever happen. You're still right. going to need people um, to do certain things. And I think we just have to constantly be doing that, that dynamic balancing. Right. One of the things that um, IDC talked about, at least I've heard them talk about, and I'm fascinated with this idea, is companies need to start to have a better user experience, they need to begin, and maybe I'm getting this wrong, so please mm-hmm. correct me. They need to write their own software, or they need to um, create that user experience. What, yep. what do you? What do they mean by that? What do you mean well, by that? Well, uh, you know, you know, my first experience with this was I was at an Amazon event a, f- 
several years ago and I heard uh, Verna Vogel, the CTO of Amazon said, um, you know, companies shouldn't buy, they should build. And, you know, for a moment, I was like, what is he talking about? And then he went on to explain that Amazon built its entire IT stack. <clears throat> I mean, there's some stuff they bought, like they bought, they bought databases from, from, from Oracle for, for some years until they eventually built their own, um, you know, database management software. But basically what he said was, look, Amazon it achieved its, its platform by building it. We, we programmed it. We wrote all the code. And he's saying that in order for companies to be, to delight their customers, in order for them to differentiate and have a unique customer experience and customer engagement, they should build their own customer uh, management software. They shouldn't buy off the shelf software. And, and over the last few years, we've seen customer experience as companies become more digital, customer experience and customer engagement over those digital platforms has become very important, mm -hmm. right? Not only that, but the way we communicate has diversified. You know, we don't just use voice. We use SMS, we use messaging, we use email, we use video conferencing. There's so many channels that we have now that you have to be diverse. And, and, and to do that, you have to be able to to provide that experience, that opportunity for your customers to engage with you in their channel of choice. And, and you know, what we found was that, you know, every, every large enterprise now have a developer. Why? Because that way they can quickly, um, you know, change the way they communicate with their customers quickly. It provides flexibility. And, and, and the, other, the other corollary is that we're doing this on open source platforms. We're doing this on the cloud. Uh, so there's a lot of a confluence of cloud, uh, you know, digitization, mobility, it all came together to provide this opportunity for companies to be much more flexible, innovative, and differentiate by building their own, their own software, leveraging open source APIs. I know that's a handful, but but I think that's that's kind of the gist of it. I wonder if you're a small shop, how so, you know the the skeptic in me says, well, of course, Amazon, you're Amazon. You know, you can. Right. We, right. we don't re remember Amazon when it was 15 guys in a garage in Seattle or whatever. But I, I'm wondering when is the. Um... Well, the the small shop. There's two things you can do. You can use SaaS, right? Yeah. Software as a service. Or the small shop could hire a developer to help them create, um, you know, sort of a their own customized, you know, customer engagement software using open source APIs, prescripted APIs. And increasingly, what we're seeing a lot of companies do is offer what we call low code programming capabilities. So instead of having to be an expert programmer and write code, use drag and drop menus to put together a simple script, like for example, a simple, you know, interactive voice response. You can do that in, in less than an hour with some low code uh, drag and drop software today and create your own, um, you know, interactive voice response. So even small companies have the opportunity to leverage some of the technology today um, 
that's being provided. I feel like for sure, as long as they can make it, um, it doesn't have to be easier, but easy and simple. I, I'm reminded of the famous Simon Sinek uh, conversation he did years ago when he landed on the map, and he, he talked about the world's greatest music player at that time was this thing that yep. was super feature rich and had all of this stuff in it, as opposed to the iPod which was just a couple buttons and the whole world adopted it or also famously the TiVo that had, I I was one of the early TiVo adopters. I was a super tech head, Mm -hmm. but I had to pro if, if it even got due on the bushes outside, it wouldn't work correctly, but it had all these features and benefits as opposed to the one that we got a year later from our cable provider that was, you push the red button and it records, you push the, like, it was so easy. It didn't have one one hundredth of the features, but everybody ended up using it because it was so easy and it did the basic, simple, intuitive things that we wanted. And so if a if somebody with a company or an organization, large or small, can make something that that's that simple, in other words, the yep. outcome of it is exactly what I want and I'm not frustrated doing it, I think they succeed. Well, I think, I think and that's one of the key premise uh, that a lot of these platforms, um, companies that offer this, now that's the tr- is is to show that it's simple, relatively. I mean, it's 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 it's. I'm not saying it's 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 anyone can do it, right? But it's relatively simple to create. You know these applications at, you know, compared to say ten years ago. And I think it, the process is going to get even more automated, even more simple to to implement. So as we wrap up here again, thank you for coming on the show. You're sitting there in your research seat. What do you think we're going to be talking about in 2023? We're not going to hold you to it. I'll have you back on the show. And I know the world's kind of crazy, but outside of the geopolitical stuff, one of the things that I think is just by way that I think it's related um, is I don't know that we understand setting aside energy and some of these other things. Mm -hmm. A lot of the IT and tech support and development support of the world comes out of the part of the world that's in conflict today. Yep. And so I don't know that we understand what the full impact to the rest of the world among the humanitarian crisis, the energy crisis, the food crisis, but so much, we're such a globally interconnected world today that one of those things I think that's going to really impact the ability of people to do business. What are some of the things you think about? Well, I think, I think we're still going to be debating, you know, virtual reality um, and how we use that. And I think we are going to be talking a lot more about sustainability, right? Mm. How do we become, you know, much more on a day-to-day basis conscious of how we use resources and how we use renewable energy and how we conserve. And I I think that's going to be, I, I think right now we're seeing the majority of companies have recognized that sustainability is is has to be a key part of their their mission and their strategy to mm-hmm. to, to succeed to be efficient um, so I think in two years that's going to continue to be a very very important topic and especially given climate change and especially given some of the geopolitical um, issues that we're experiencing today yeah I, I think that as it relates to sustainability, more and more I'm hearing organizations, what they've tried to do, individuals and 
organizations is evangelize people to see things the way they see them for whatever reason. And they've had some success doing mm -hmm. that. But I see a lot, Courtney, where they're saying, you know what? I'm going to do less about the evangelization and I'm going to do more about kind of like what you're talking about, low code. I'm going to build tools that have efficiency built into them and, and then make yep. my tool attractive. Absolutely. So try, instead of trying to make you the world's greatest coder, if I give you this menu of drag and drop, whatever, but I've done the work underneath it that makes the infrastructure that you're dragging and dropping wildly efficient in the same way, mm -hmm. if I can make my, my data center run much more efficient. I'm not going to keep trying to convince my customers to do blanking panels and do all this other stuff. We're just going to build an infrastructure that's wildly efficient with water and energy and dissipating Absolutely. heat. And it goes back to, the, to that digital, digital first infrastructure we talked about. Right. So for example, instead of me building, me company-wide building my own data center and using, you know, uh, having a rack full of equipment, I'll go to a, a co-location facility and I'll I'll use that because they're much more efficient than mine and I can interact with, with all the cloud providers and the network providers there. So how we be, we use digital is going to continue to be of paramount importance for efficiency, speed, and flexibility overall. Yeah, I agree. Well, it feels like that's a great spot to end our conversation today. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. What uh, what are we going to talk about next time besides the continued involvement of uh, sustainability and virtual reality? Well, um, I, I I live in Miami, right? So I think we're probably going to wonder if when when is the when is Miami Heat going to win the NBA NBA Finals again? <laughs> <laughs> wow! So you want to get into real controversy? Okay, we can do that. <laughs> Courtney, no, thanks that, for I, I, I think there's going to be a lot for us to talk about as, as right. technology evolves um, and the way we interact with technology will continue to evolve. I think there's going to be tons to talk about. Perfect. I mean, we haven't even talked about, uh, you know, sort of uh, the whole the whole impact on 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 us as human beings in terms of biology, you know, you know, neural networks yeah. uh, and, and how that interacts with us physically. So, I, you know, I think I think there's going to be tons for us to talk about. Well, I'd love to. I, actually, that's an area I've gotten into. So we'll talk about that next time. And also, believe it or not, I'm I'm not all that bullish on 5G anymore. I love the potential. I just think it's further away. And what I'm hoping is part of this infrastructure bill that's been passed by Congress, yep. that the, the emphasis on fiber, getting fiber to our rural communities, getting fiber throughout, like just just like they do in so many other parts of the world yep. where they have this thick environment rich of fiber. Um, we'll see. I have people that are on both sides of that argument, but I, I yeah. the potential I'm, of 5G. I'm still hopeful. I'm still hopeful that it's going to pass. And I think, yeah. I think 5G is all about the service providers being much more efficient and yeah. serving us with more capacity. I think that's where it's important. Um, okay. And, you know, we're going to probably be talking about internet of things and, and the ability of, of billions of billions of sensors to help us live better lives. That's another key topic we should probably talk about. I look forward to it. Well, Courtney, thanks for coming on the show well, today. thank you. This has been great. And I look really forward to it. chatting with you again. I look forward to it as well. And if you've enjoyed this show, please like, share, subscribe, and comment. We'll see you next time on the QTS Experience. Thank you, everybody. Have a good one.